Let's pray together. Father God, it is an honor to come and praise the name of Jesus. Glorious is thy name, O Lord. So worthy to be praised, Father God, and we thank you for the opportunity today to come into your presence, Lord, and just to, to lift up the name of Jesus. God, I pray for every aspect of this service today that it will be Christ-centered. Father God, that the, the name of Jesus would be lifted up. So, Father God, I ask that you would speak through the, the music, but God, as the pastor comes, may you anoint him with your word. Father God, that uh, they would penetrate our hearts and that we would be changed and be drawn into a closer relationship with you. Father God, if there's somebody in this room today that does not know you, may today be the day of their salvation, and may you draw them close to you. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, just a quick word to say thank you. Uh, you'll see some pictures coming up behind uh, of, this, of this past week. We did Love Thy Neighbor, and uh, it was a great week. We had 70 to 80 people come and, uh, and participate. Uh, you'll see some before and after shots of some of those. We did uh, three homes. Uh, we were at the Baptist home as well. Uh, we did two other places that weren't on my schedule, but people took the initiative, like the Tele Sunday School class and uh, uh, the Strikers and the Wolferts did a, a couple homes on Thursday. It was just a great week to be together, to, uh, uh, and we did North Elementary. And so just a lot of good things happened this past week. Um, projects were good, but uh, getting just out in the community was even better. Um, Wednesday night, we had more people in our neighborhoods canvassing than we've ever had before. And so that was a plus-plus as well. And so just to God be the glory for what happened. Uh, we pray for um, uh, just uh, some divine appointments. And even um, uh, going into Wednesday, we were just about done and, and had a group at the Baptist home. And so some of our people just went out and, and just uh, knocked on doors of the Baptist home just to, to say hey to people. So it was a great week. And uh, I appreciate from the people who started early in the morning with breakfast to uh, all the way through uh, uh, Wednesday. Uh, we got done a day early, so it was, it was, it was good for that. Um, I got to celebrate a birthday in the middle of that, and my wife said, why would you do it over your birthday? And I said, they sang happy birthday at breakfast. They sang happy birthday at, at supper. So it was good for me all the way around. It was, I was with some of my closest friends and enemies. And uh, No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, no, it's all good. But uh, lot of, lots of things done, and if you participated this week by bringing food or by painting or by sweating because it was a hot week, Thank you. God was lifted up and God was glorified, and uh, a lot of good work was done. So thank you. Amen. It was a wonderful week. We Blake did get uh, so many birthday wishes uh, Wednesday. We started calling it "Love Thy Blake," not instead of "Love Thy Neighbor." <laughs> we do want to say uh, a big um, uh, uh, God bless America. Uh, today it is our uh, Tuesday will be our 270 uh, pardon me 247th birthday right and and so we just need to praise God for this great land that he's blessed us with and uh, continue to be his servants as we move as we move forward I want to uh, add, oh, I didn't have it there there it is um, uh, 
call your attention to these blue connection cards. So if you're with us maybe for the first or second time visiting, we would love to know who you are so that we can get some information about the church to you. Or if, we have, if you have any questions about the church, there's some, uh, you, can, you can ask on that card and we'll get back to you. And of course we have um, uh, prayer request cards as well. All right. Hey, let's continue on with worship. So we're going to be focusing on Psalm 3 today. And I hope you can see how these songs uh, tie together with uh, Psalm 3 as we move forward. Let's sing together. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation. Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the dark. Yeah. 
God, we just want to give you all praise and glory today. And in our tithes and offerings, we want to give you the glory. And Lord, we want uh, uh, you to be glorified in this act of, uh, of worship. And, and we uh, just give it all to you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Fills the night, it cannot hide the light. 
Excited to share with you a song that goes right along with uh, what Brother Philip would be preaching, Psalm 3. Um, Thou, O Lord. You'll, uh, I, I hope as you hear the song, you'll hear sort of the dark dissonance at the beginning. And that's really symbolic of our life, isn't it? Without Christ, it's dark and it's dissonant. But then there's that part that says, But Thou, O Lord. But God. Right? And that's when the light shines through. And hopefully you'll hear that too. I can't, I can't not share this story. Uh, thanks, Mike, for being up there running the lyrics. Andy uh, Ellett was uh, at practice, and he got called away. He's an anesthesiologist, and, and he, he was on call. He got called away uh, to help with a heart surgery. And he texts me, and he says this, But while I'm on my way there, I'm going to be praying for all those here that need heart surgery. Some, some of us do today, amen? And so allow God to operate as needed, amen?
Well, I want to thank uh, Brother David and the choir. <clears throat> he said uh, to me during the week, I want to do this song, but we're, it's 4th of July weekend, closest one to the 4th, and don't know about instruments and don't know about participation, but oh, man, that was good. Praise the Lord for uh, work uh, to lift our voices to sing. And just thank the Lord for the choir and delivering such an incredible message like that given directly from God's Word. All right, Psalm 3. It's going to take me at least 150 days. <laughs> no, it's, I'm not going to preach all of them in order, but some of them I have to to show you the interconnectedness of all the Psalms. You see, the order that you have in the Bible was not... Uh, canonized or given to us necessarily in this order at first, but we know that the Lord God uh, takes care of how the scriptures come together, and so the Psalms are interconnected, and you have to see this, just like we talked about the superscriptions are actually inspired texts, so in the Masoretic text or in Hebrew, chapter 3 begins with verse 1 in the English Bible, but in reality, uh, the, the, the mitzmor of David, mitzmor is the Hebrew word for psalm, a mitzmor of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son, that's the first verse, and it's inspired text, and we should read it in worship, because it's inspired by God, a psalm of David, 
when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Silah. That's also in the text, right? Silah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Well, our independence as a country uh, was accomplished because of men and women who were willing uh, to fight for freedom. And so we're thankful for that today, right? And for some of you, it was possible that you've spent some time in a foxhole. Anybody? Is there anybody alive in here? In military? Oh, there are some hands that have spent some time in the trenches, in a foxhole. I know my father-in-law did, and he has stories that he told us about that. It would be a blessing. And it is a blessing to have someone in the foxhole with you that has your back. Wouldn't you believe that? I mean, to be alone in the foxhole is one thing, but to have someone in there that's going to put their life on the line for you is awesome. However, think of the great disappointment and the great heartbreak that you would sense if the person in that foxhole with you ends up being your enemy and he stabs you in the back. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? The pain would be numbing. And the disappointment more than words could possibly convey. I think David felt this pain and disappointment when he was betrayed by his own son, Absalom. We would all agree that, in large part, the scripture is our God speaking to us, right? But in the Psalms, in many ways, we are speaking to God. We are responding back to him. The Psalms actually speak for us in so many ways. This particular categorization of Psalm 3 is a lament psalm. So there are categorizations of psalms depending on the kind of content that we find in them. So there are elements that help us understand. This would be called a lament psalm. Okay? There can be individual laments. That's what this one is. And there can be national laments. We need one for our country right now. We need a national lamentation. So this psalm is a little different because all the lament psalms usually begin with a complaint. How numerous are my enemies, O Lord, right? But this one moves quickly to a declaration of praise. So there's not a whole lot of lamenting and complaining. It ends up turning quickly to a praise psalm, a trust in the Lord type psalm. So, this is the first one we come to with a superscription. The first two did not have that, right? 
Now we know that Psalm 2 is credited to David because of the book of Acts, but not in the text before you. Okay? And we have to see that Psalm 1 and 2 should be seen together for sure, right? But here we have a superscription. And it is the first verse of the psalm. It's part of the inspired text. So if the psalm has a superscription, which it does, then the superscription should be read in our worship. Understand? All right. There are 14 superscriptions that describe some kind of event in David's life. So out of 150 psalms, we have 14 superscriptions that tell us of a historical episode that actually took place in David's life. This is also the first time the word psalm has occurred. Y'all awake? Right? It's a mitzmor. This is the word in the Hebrew meaning a song to be sung. Keep this in mind. This is the Hebrew hymn book. Okay? It's a song to be sung and usually with musical accompaniment. Not all the superscriptions have musical accompaniment. But look down in chapter 4. I mean Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. It actually tells you what kind of instrument you're going to play while you sing this song. Okay? That's an example. So, again, behind the word psalm is some kind of musical composition. It's the song that's composed to be sung. So sometimes, again, there's a musical instrument given. But in this particular one, we clearly see the context of the psalm. Right? When he was caused to flee from Absalom, his son. Now, where's that found? Second Samuel, chapters 15 through 19. Don't let that scare you. I'm not going to preach all of it. But contextually, that is the historical setting. It is both a heroine time in David's life, but it's also a very, very sad time in David's life. David's son, a good-looking dude. How do we know that? Because the Bible would tell us in 2 Samuel 14, 25 that there was no blemish in him. And he was loved by his father. And even after Absalom murdered his brother Amnon for raping his sister Tamar in 2 Samuel 13, David still forgave him. And all indications are he began to still or to begin to trust again Absalom, which we find in 2 Samuel 14, 33. Sometime in that episode, that area of his life, he begins to rebel against his father and his father's kingdom. Joab, David's general, compels David, go sit down and speak to your son Absalom. But Absalom, according to the word of God, begins to sit at the gate, sit at the gate and he begins to play upon the people's discontent with the way things are. 2 Samuel 15.6 tells us that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, this is supposed to be the golden age in David's reign. He is probably to the latter part of midlife. And things should be more settled than they seem to be. Yet, did you know that people can always be talked into discontent? Even in a Baptist church. Things can be going like we think, wow, God is doing great things in our church. But it only takes one discontented person to begin to talk about how you ought to also be discontented. And uh, boy, howdy. So here we have Absalom sowing the seeds of discord. And finally, what takes place? A full-blown insurrection. And this insurrection puts King David 
and his whole household in the palace on the run. So we may say on 4th of July weekend that David was engaged in a civil war. Right there in his kingdom. Finally, a palace coup takes place that forced David to abdicate his throne and flee the city. The Bible says that he wept and went barefoot. 2 Samuel 15.30, as he fled for his life. You may also remember that David endured a rock pelting by Shemaiah. In Hebrew, Shemai. This cat was perched in the area when David was fleeing and he begins to throw rocks at him and curse him. Things get worse, right? Not only are you driven from your palace, but he is wearying David, pelting him with rocks and cursing him and saying similar things to what you just see or what you've just read in Psalm chapter 3. The Bible tells us that David became weary and his people. Do you understand how painful this was in David's life? This was excruciatingly painful. And this provides the background for the psalm. I'm going to return to some of it as we go through. But I want you to know that he wrote this in the midst of the greatest trial phase and test of his faith in his life. He has tremendous grief. This is the historical background. But hear me this morning. This is also the inspired word of God. And it's also applicable for your life and mine if you belong to Christ. Everybody listening? Don't stand aloof and think, well, that's just David. No, it's you. It's you too if you're a believer, right? So this psalm teaches us that when we encounter trouble, and you will, maybe not like this, maybe not a civil war, maybe not your son trying to kill you, but this psalm teaches that you should trust the Lord and have confidence that the God who delivers will deliver you. Amen? The psalm captures the full spectrum of human emotions, human experience. As one Hebrew professor once said, only a Philistine could fail to love the psalms. If you don't laugh, then you don't understand the psalms. Nor David, nor the Philistines. What about Samson? Did he love them? Right, now you're thinking. Okay, all right. Let's break this down into three sections. The movement is probably in four movements, but I'm going to combine the last two movements in one division. All right? First, we need to cry out to the Lord in our distress, knowing what God has promised. I've tried my best to craft these divisions so that it's applicational to you. Now, David was crying out, but you ought to cry out to God as well. You yourself need to cry out to God, and you do so knowing the promise of God can't help you. I can't encourage you enough to see this. The blessed man is the one who meditates on the word of God day and night. He shall be planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit. This is the blessed. That's why I titled it. This is how God blesses his people, right? Blessed is the man, all right? End of, end of chapter 2. Take refuge in Christ. And then when you get to the end of chapter 3, is everybody listening? They're interconnected. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Please see the connection. The Lord's blessing is upon his people. Period. So let's see this, all right? Did David have a lot of enemies? Answer, yes. His enemies were everywhere. And we can think about the Philistines and we can think about the Ammonites. And these were enemies. But this is a little different. Here you now have 
not just a group of enemies that were clearly against God and his people. This time they're Israelites. When you have time, you need to read uh, the context. Why would his enemies claim that there was no deliverance for him and God? That's something to think about as we move through. They actually thought that God would not act on David's behalf. They were not unbelieving, polytheistic Philistines either. The people who were against David were orthodox, monotheistic Israelites. They believed correctly, as they knew it in the Old Testament. They believed in only one God, right? These were Israelites. They believed that David was cast off by God beyond rescue and beyond God's interests. The next word says, Selah. Hmm. David was going along in that one song, and he actually inter- interjected in the writing a pause so that you don't sing right over him. Do y'all remember that song? There's a pause there. Well, the translation of the Greek, the Greek translation of the Hebrew takes Selah and defines it as pause, right? Well, the deal is, we don't know exactly what Selah means. To this day, we don't know exactly what it means. More than likely, it has something to do with, a, with musical connotation, like rise up and listen, or maybe a change of note, or to pause, or as one preacher once said when I was a kid and it stuck in my mind, what, if you think, what do you think of that? So you should stop at that point and reflect upon David. Reflect upon what he went through. So let's think about the interconnectedness. The musical direction or the or rise or raise of voice has changed. Silah, so think about this, but please Keep in mind the interconnectedness of the psalm. In Psalm 1, we have a contrast between the righteous and the ungodly. In Psalm 2, we have a contrast between the righteous anointed son of God and the wicked rulers and kings who plot a vain thing. And then David's enemies, at this point, include his own family. So think about the interconnectedness of it. Psalm 2.12 should not be taken lightly. Do you remember it? Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in your way, for his wrath quickly is kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This is going to come to fruition in Absalom's life. God's wrath is going to come quickly because he's against God's anointed. And I know that Psalm 2 is the Lord Jesus Christ on his holy hill. But don't forget who Jesus is. He is the greater son of David. And God had put David on that holy hill. And what God does, you can't stop. When God speaks, he finishes it. So, he knows the connection. So, at this point, David cries to the Lord. We don't usually face insurrections or civil wars. But I want to tell you, you're going to face attacks on your faith. You're going to have conflicts with those you love. You're going to have people, maybe even your own family, who are going to turn against you. So, think about David's actual crisis. There's no doubt that the insurrection troubled him, right? But it ultimately paled in comparison to the crisis he has with his own son. Just think about this for a moment. His faith was under attack. 
And they're saying God is not going to deliver you. Now, what would have fueled this in David's life? David was the anointed king set upon the holy hill. And there were going to be kings after him that had a coronation, right? That the Lord reminds us of in the Bible. But I believe they're referring to David's notorious sins. Y'all know about those? So 2 Samuel 11 through 12 speak of those notorious sins. He had murdered Uriah. He had stolen his wife Bathsheba in adultery. His family life was a disaster. His daughter had been raped. A son has been murdered. And now his son's trying to take his life. Anybody want that family situation? We know what the Lord told David regarding his own household. The sword's not going to depart. David, your faith is a mockery. This is what they're crying out to him. You've actually given, David, Israelites are speaking, you have given our enemies a reason to blaspheme God. Alan Ross says this attack on David's faith is meant to be painful and discouraging. No doubt it is. This is what they were saying. (laughs) David's as good as dead. Right? You are yesterday's news, David. You're gone. This is what they were saying. But this is not what God said in his word. The word that you should meditate in day and night. Right? What David meditated in. He knew the promise of God. David's opponents fooled themselves into thinking that God was on their side. As they sought to displace and remove God's chosen servant. In 2 Samuel, Absalom and his enablers, they actually violate the law of God. They engage in subterfuge. They advocate immorality and Ahithophel says just go on in there and take all David's concubines for yourself and he does it and they seek to murder the Lord's anointed the king whom the Lord had placed on his holy hill folks we're all sinners and we all do things that we must seek forgiveness for with God and man are y'all listening we do things that we're ashamed of And we wish, God, we wish we would not have done those things. When people point those sins out, that's bad enough, right? That's the ouch factor. That's the Nathan prophet finger to the face. You have sinned against God. But then this is ratcheted up more because the people are actually attacking David's faith in the Lord. Or or the Lord's care over David. And they begin to question his motivations that's a different animal altogether right that's kind of like kicking a man when he's already down and I want to tell you today that you need to check your own heart at this point there needs to be some spiritual inventory of our actions and once you've done that you need to let God know about your problem he knows already but you cry out in the midst of that so here are the Israelites saying there's no deliverance with God for him Here is David's enemies rising up with attacks on his faith. And don't misunderstand me. David knew full well what his sin had done to him and his Lord. Just read Psalm 51. He knew full well that this sin against Bathsheba and Uriah was first against God. You, God alone, have I sinned against. He knew it. He knew what it was like for his bones to wax old because of the sin that was in his life. But he also knew what it was like to be forgiven. Amen? 
to be forgiven. So, that's the first movement. Cry out to the Lord in your distress, knowing what God has promised. All right, number two, assert your confidence in the Lord, our King. And here's what he does. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Assert your confidence in the Lord. Again, it doesn't remain a psalm of lamentation for too long, does it? David quickly begins to exalt, and what does he do? The character of God. He's exalting in the character of God. So, it moves to a declaration of trust. It begins by declaring truths that he knows to be true. How does he know this? From the Word of God. He knows the truth to be self-evident of God. And he says, you, covenant name of God, Yahweh, Lord, in all caps, right? You, O Lord, that saves, Yeshua Shet saves, you, O Lord, are a shield, not to me, but about me. Are y'all listening? About me. Shield has the idea of a defense and protection. But notice, again, he doesn't say, you are a shield to me. He says, you are a shield about me. In other words, that means you have enclosed me. You are the shield that encloses me. You're the shield all around me. You're a shield that sealed me up and hedged me around and enclosed me. So David is no doubt thinking back on the Lord's promise to Abraham. Because in Genesis 15, the Lord says, I will be to you a shield. So, so David is knowing this from the word. That as you were with Abraham, because you made him a promise, you've made me a promise just like that. And because you were with Abraham, you will be with me. That's what he's saying here. With all the enemies around him, David declares that the Lord is his shield in front of him, beside him, behind him, and over him. Again, Alan Ross says the Lord was the only defense that David had. But the Lord was also the only defense that David needed. Hallelujah, right? So, the Lord decreed to David that his seed would prevail over all the nations. And David knew that. He knew what God had promised. And then David says, you are my glory. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It means weighty. It means honor. It means splendor. It means heavy. I think David is saying, you, Lord, are my honor. God himself was David's glory. His enemies tried to disgrace him, dispose him, discredit him. But it was God who was David's honor and glory. The enemies tried to dishonor David, but he says, Lord, you are my glory. In other words, they could try to tarnish David's glory because it's not, and they may win with that, but it's not ultimately David's glory. It's God's glory. David has this incredible confidence that God was not only his all-encompassing shield, but God himself was his glory and honor. The Lord was the source of David's life. He is the source of our glory. It reminds me of Paul's words in Galatians 6, 14. I will glory only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. They couldn't diminish David's glory because his glory was none other than Yahweh, his covenant-keeping God. That was his glory. And then as our song told us, whew, wasn't it good to hear those words? You are the lifter of my head. Mm. I can't help but think this is the picture of, or David is thinking, 
once he decides to flee the palace because there's an insurrection, uh, David and all of his faithful men, 2 Samuel 15.30, they're fleeing. And t- I'm telling you folks, would your head be down if you were fleeing a palace knowing full well that there's an insurrection, there's a civil war, and their heads are down? The idea is when it's the lifter of the head, it's the idea of restoration from dishonor, dejection, and defeat. It's the sense of exaltation. Most of us have had a child that's ultra-sensitive when you discipline them, and when you get all over them, they're just like this. And you have to say, sometimes you get them a whole face and you lift them up. They look me in the eye. Yes, you've sinned, but your father loves you. You're accepted, right? So this is the thoughts on that. Your father loves you regardless. David says, you are the one who lifts my head. Whew. You have exalted me when it looks like I have been defeated. Only God can do this. You lift my head high even when I have been dejected. The Lord heard me from his holy hill. Isn't that good? Where God has placed the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a place where God had installed David as king. And it was from here that he receives the word from the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he hears his answer. God made a promise to David. And I want to remind you today that our God is the same God he's always been. He never changes and he keeps his word today. He keeps his word today. He cried out and the Lord heard him. Last movement. You ready? Rehearse the Lord's divine protection over your life. So again, this is in the movement of a prayer. David is recapitulating somewhat. He's coming back and he's telling you about the prayer. And I want to remind you that many of these things that he prays as accomplished have not taken place yet. But he knows it's going to. Why? Because God is faithful. And God will accomplish his purposes. So he cries out. Here's the condition he's in and the Lord's answer. This is more than simply saying my prayers at bedtime, right? This is a deep emotional crying out to the Lord. The Lord answers from his holy mountain. Now, I want to ask you a question. Was there an immediate delivery? And if you've read the story, no. It it moves on from this insurrection into things. And you, you think things are getting a little bit better. And then actually it gets difficult. But all the, in the midst of all of it, David's major concern doesn't seem to be, Lord, I'm losing my kingdom. In the midst of all of this, it's, he says this, don't harm my young son Absalom. When Joab's army is going out after them, don't forget about my son. He, he's the one that's my enemy. I get that, but don't forget about him. There was not this big, massive deliverance from the details of all of this. In David's life. In the end, yes, there's victory. However, he lost a son. That's dead. The details, the difficulty. And I'm, I'm reminding you of this. You know, if you had an entire army after you, uh, don't you think you'd need some sleep? Listen to the word. I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. So, if you had an army after you, you would need some sleep. What will your thoughts be? 
man, with this many people after me, am I going to wake up in the morning? Am I going to make it through the night? Will I be alive in the morning? If you're in a war zone, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. Why? Because every shadow, every noise, everything you hear, you think someone is closer and they're going to kill you. I think the wording may be as simple as this. I cried out to you, you answered me, and I woke up. I think it may be as simple as that. The immediate token of deliverance was that you woke up the next morning. Right? God sustained me, David says, through the night, and he fully expected this. Now, when I say that all of the deliverance wasn't immediate, is to remind us that he sees these smaller monumental deliverances that reminded him of the fact that obviously one day there's going to be a bigger deliverance. Okay? It was smaller things in David's life. In other words, if he sees you through the night, he's going to see you all the way through. Are y'all listening? If he sees you through the night, and David sees this, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when another servant named Paul says, I've been delivered in the past. He's delivered me in the present. And guess what? Our God will deliver me again. There's a confidence there. So the tokens of protections are a promise to me and you of future deliverance. I'm begging you today to look back in your own life of the faithfulness of God in your life. They're monuments. They're down payments of a bigger, bigger monumental change in your life that's coming. And that's ultimately when you see Christ face to face. Don't miss. Now I'm not going to be able to see my notes up here. Right? Don't miss those smaller monuments where God was faithful in your life. I remember when Natalie and I moved off to seminary. There were people that thought we were absolutely crazy. My dad said, son, can't you just do this degree externally? Go ahead and start pastoring a church. You'll be fine. You already have a bachelor's degree. You, you can preach. You'll be fine. It's not what God told me to do, dad. I'm going to school. So I'm 24 years old. Natalie is 21. She's really not three years younger than me. Don't think I've robbed the cradle. She's only two years, really, but you know how those dates work. Right now, I'm 52. I'll be 53 Friday. And so, calendar-wise, most of the time, she only looks two years younger than me. You understand all that, right? Just making sure you understand this. All right. So, we're going off to seminary. We have Timothy. He's less than a year old, and Elena's on the way. We find that out a month before we go to school. So I'm running off to North Carolina with no money, with no job. I've never even seen the school. I haven't seen where we're going to live. And we walk in and Natalie sits on the floor and cries. It's bad. It's orange, burnt carpet. Nothing looks good. There's tinfoil on the windows. And we're like, what is up with tinfoil on the windows? And then we find out that that's the way you conserve energy. You don't have to pay a lot of bills. So... You know, your electrical bill stays down when you have tinfoil over your windows. So we're like, man, this is weird. And there's kids' toys stacked to the roof outside on the porches and everywhere. It looks like the gospel ghetto. <laughs> and it is. And my dad says this to me. You remember, he says, let's go home. I will pay you to leave. <laughs> you can do this another way. I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. 
this. Hold on. Uh, you know, we, God knew this. We needed a monument, right? If you've ever been there, you know how God works. So I'm standing there in the middle of the floor in this gospel ghetto. And my dad is standing beside me, and this older fellow comes out from the back of a room, and he's holding a paintbrush. And I thought, oh, gosh. And my dad says, you're a painter? And he says, yeah, I paint all the seminary housing. Uh, when, when somebody moves out, I paint it for the next family moving in. His name was Mr. Ross. And my dad said, my son's a painter. And he reaches his paintbrush out to me. And I took it and flipped it. If you hold it like this, you're not a painter. Don't, don't sign up for any painting job. All right? We don't need you. Okay? But I flipped it over and held it like you're supposed to hold a paintbrush immediately just by natural occurrence. He said, you're hired and I'll pay you $12 an hour. Folks, I didn't have a job. <laughs> no understanding of what God was going to do and immediately first day when I stepped on the campus I had a job most guys went through seminary with their wives putting them through it's called a PhD PhD putting honey through PhD PH2 most of those wives worked and the husbands God gave me a job I worked made it through seminary in three years now they didn't have to God took care of us I'm just telling you, that was a monument for us. That was God saying, I got this. And he always has. Ups, downs, doesn't matter. I have confidence that what God starts, he will finish. I'm not David, don't claim to be. I'm not Paul, but I serve the same God they serve. And when he's done with me, it might be tomorrow. I may not see Friday. I don't care. Then I'll see him. Right? So you've got to have that kind of confidence in God. He's got a faithful track record, right? Doesn't matter what comes our way. No matter what the difficulty is. You, you need to see that he's protecting you. You can be confident, right? So, now can I get back to where I am? All right. So, those monuments in life. Okay? So, if you have been in serious emotional turmoil, ridden with anxiety, then you know these words are incredibly precious to us. I laid down and I went to sleep. And I woke up. I, I got to wipe my face. Y'all mind? This is all filmed, right? <laughs> I don't care. Right, Brother Philip? No. I'm not really worried about it too much. You've gave me, you gave me sleep. I went to bed. I slept like a baby with enemies. Listen to this. All around me, I have confidence in God. Folks, this ought to be precious to you. This is what David is saying. He is the one who provides me with sustenance. He, pro he provides me with provision. He gives me protection. He lets me sleep. Reminds me of Psalm 121. Our God, the God of Israel, is a God who never sleeps, never slumbers, and his eye is always upon me And then he says, my help comes from the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So, because our God never sleeps, I can. Right? 
So, he, he names them, ten thousands. The plurality of his enemies are all around him. But I'm not going to be afraid because God is my shield. He's enclosed me. In Psalm 56, he will say numerous times, my hope is in the Lord. And therefore, I will not be afraid. He knows what God has promised for him. So that's the content of his praying, crying out to the Lord. Notice this poetic parallelism, beautiful balance at the end. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. And then he reminds us that he will take care of his enemies. The Lord will. But it's interesting that David is actually giving a series of imperatives back to the Lord. <laughs> this is interesting. Lord, you save me. You, you take care. You deliver me. In other words, David's faith was anchored in the sovereignty of God. Uh, there is also unmistakable urgency in the prayer, though. Lord, you can do this. Do it now. Save me. There's urgency. Anybody ever been in that situation? God, i got to have help. Not tomorrow. Now. Arise, save me. Arise, hey, don't miss this, my covenant God. He's saying to him, you're Yahweh, you're the one who made this covenant with me. You're the one that came after me, pursued me. Lord, stand up and deliver me. Arise, my covenant-keeping God, and save me. You've broken the jaws of my enemies. In other words, he will jack the jaw. He will smash the teeth of the ungodly. This is not pleasant has overtones from Genesis 3. He'll bruise your heel, I'll crush his head. Okay? So, the language is to crush the jaw. You've had shattered, you've shattered the teeth of the wicked. Much of what David is speaking of has not happened yet. This is called a prophetic perfect. He has full confidence that God is going to do this. You know this is found in Romans 8.28. It is. God himself. And we know that he works all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So God has a purpose. What is it? That those he foreknew, he also predestined. That those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he will ultimately glorify. That's called a prophetic perfect. In other words, the ones that God has justified, you think you can lose your salvation? You're wrong. Those he has justified, he has already glorified in heaven. That's the terminology taken from the Old Testament word yada, which doesn't mean that God saw and foreknew a decision you would make. It's the whom, not the what. Yada has persons involved with intimate knowledge. Jeremiah 1.5. God knows you intimately, therefore this is his purpose. David knows. God, you know me inside and out. He says this, therefore I know my God and you're going to come through. Even though some of these things have not happened yet, you will come through. All right. How can I close this sermon down? Well, there's going to be conflict how God delivers David. There's going to be Ahithophel, and there's going to be another counselor, Yeshua, I think that's right, Yusha. And there's two counselors, and one of them is going to feed a line to Absalom that you should go ahead and act tonight. 
go ahead and go against King David. And I'm going to go against him because he's weary. And I'm going to take care of this issue. And I'm going to strike him down. But the other counselor says, no, wait a minute. I don't think his advice is good. And here's what you ought to do. And he gives them another plan of action. And the Bible says it so clearly. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Chapter 17, the end of verse 14. 17, 14. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the council of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Folks, when God ordains something, it's going to happen and you can't stop it. I've already ordained what's going to take place. So he moves the mouth and the counsel of the wicked. Turns it to the good of David. And yes, it's, a, it's, it's terrible to think about what ends up transpiring. Okay, makes, David makes this commitment in saying here, salvation belongs to Yahweh. I want you to understand that that's, that's true salvifically all day long. But David also knows what it means for him to be saved physically, right? Because God ordains it in such a way that Absalom's hair gets hung in the branches of an oak tree. I mean, my goodness. And somebody sees him hanging there and they report it back and say, this, this guy's hanging up in a tree. And they say, well, why don't you just strike him down? He says, I'm not going to touch the king's son. He had way more sense than anybody else had. And so, eventually, Joab orders that he be struck down and Absalom is killed. God delivered David. He'd already delivered him from the mouths of lions and Goliath, right? God delivers David. I want to remind you that in all of biblical history, our God is a God who delivers. Aren't you thankful? He's a God who saves. That's his specialty. Don't you like it? Not only does he save you spiritually, but he also saves you physically. So, David could write, salvation belongs to the Lord. Y'all know someone else who said this? Jonah. <laughs> Knucklehead prophet. Wanted to do it his own way. God says, you're going to do it my way. And finally he sees that, yeah, I better do it God's way. And he does. And God forgives the Ninevites. He allows them to repent. And, Dave, and Jonah says, man, I've learned something. Salvation is of the Lord. So here's the ending of this sermon. When we think about this psalm, we need to think about it in two ways. All right, here's the first thing. David, as Israel's king, suffered and underwent attacks. His own enemies, his own people tried to betray him. Yet the God delivered him from all of his enemies and saved David against all odds. Again, they said there's no salvation for David. But God does it. They say there's no salvation for David. David turns around and says salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Think about the interconnectedness the connectedness of this. David's son, the greater one, the Lord Jesus Christ, knew what it was like to have enemies increase. He was disowned by his own flesh and blood. He came into his own and his own received him not. He was rejected. His own trust in his father was belittled. They assumed he was cast off and rejected of God. Isaiah 53. 
He knew the victory of deliverance through prayer, Hebrews 5. God answers that prayer, and three days later, he comes forth from the grave. Talk about a victory. Amen? David's greater son knows what it is to say salvation belongs to the Lord because he is the Lord. He is the one who is mighty to save. And because of that, this psalm goes from lament to trust. Psalm 3 points us to Jesus Christ. You can't miss the link. It points us to Christ. But it also shows us that when we encounter trouble, we can keep our complaints short. Right? We can turn quickly to a declaration of trust in Yahweh. Just as David did and said, you're my shield. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. If you know him, if you know what he is like and what he has done, you know full well that he's our shield. Our glory and the lifter of our heads. Ultimately, it was a salvation wrought by the Son of God. And if that's the case, which it is, then you can have confidence in the Lord God. So here's my sermon for you. You're not ready. Are you ready? So sleep soundly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. I heard a young person say amen. All right. That's you. Okay. All right. God be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I know the hour is late, but you're at work. Thank you for your word. Lord, I've just been so encouraged, blessed by your word in studying the Psalms. Lord, I needed it. Lord, I said these are Psalms of summer. And Lord, Father, I, I needed to hear what you say in your word, to study it. Lord, you are a shield about us. Our glory and the lifter of our heads. Lord, as Andy prayed on the way over, Lord, to take care of a physical heart, Lord, perhaps you in your sovereignty would grant repentance to someone today. That you would visit a heart, take out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. It's pliable. That is tender to Christ. Remove the hardness from someone's heart. I pray, Jesus, they would see you on your holy hill. I pray they would see that salvation belongs to the Lord. You're the only one that can save us from the penalty of our sin. Thank you for your perfect obedience. You, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That the very righteousness of God may be in us. God, we thank you for it. Lord, for Christians today, would you help us? Help us to have confidence in you and declare it to you with praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this invitation song. The Lord is my salvation. The grace of God is reached for me. And pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. Will not fear. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. The dawn of the rising sun, the Lord 
is my salvation. Oh, who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid and my victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord? Oh, who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid and my victory won. The Lord is my salvation. So have confidence in the Lord. Amen. Meditate on His Word. And when you do, you will have a resulting stability. You'll be planted by the rivers of water. That bears fruit in its season. At the right time. Right? It's all about the Word. Delighting in the Word of God. Uh, Mason and Jenny Hayward are here. Raise, raise your hand. Where are you, Mason? Yep. They're about to leave us, and I'm not really happy about it. But they're uh, moving off to... Jenny's taking a job with the Kabul school system, Willow Springs, and uh, Mason got a job in West Plains. So they're going to relocate to that area. Uh, love, the, love them. They have gotten married since they've been at our church and been members for a while. I think they're in Chad's Sunday school class, and we're all going to miss them. But pray for them as they go over to Willow Springs, and I'm praying they'll get them another job and come back. <laughs> all right. But no, you trust the sovereignty of God, right? His direction. We pray for them. Glad to have my brother and sister-in-law, Jeff and Cindy, are here with us. He comes about twice a year to straighten me out. He's my older brother. Yeah. Y'all think I need to be straightened out? Ask Natalie. She'll tell you. I definitely need to be straightened out a lot. But no, glad they're here with us. It's a blessing to have them. I know you'll be with family and friends over the weekend. Stay safe. Trust the Lord. Put your focus on Him. Uh, we... We're appreciative. I will add in that I not only went to Guatemala with a group of people in this church that I love, and it's such a blessing to get to know people, but to serve with you this week out in our community was awesome. We got good people and a good church, and God has blessed us, and it ought to be all for God's glory, right? He is our glory. It's for Him. Amen. All right. Brother David. Hey, real quick, uh, there's a misprint in the bulletin. Uh, seniors, uh, we're going to the uh, Queen Esther uh, Sight and Sound. Deadline is not today. It is the 16th. So you still got two more weeks. I'm, yes, I'm sorry, but I want to remind you that July is the month that you don't have any Wednesday night. Yeah. Right? Unless your group is told you have something. And there are no Sunday night services until July 30th. And you can't miss that one. Okay, that's an all-day Sunday that we're going to have a guest speaker with us. I'll let you know more about that later. But that's the last Sunday. So you get four, four Sunday nights and four Wednesday nights off. That's a lot for the pastor to give you, right? <laughs> so you can come on July 30th, the last Sunday of the month. All day long, we'll have a guest speaker. Look forward to it. And on that site and sound, we may have run out of envelopes. I'll have some out there for you right now uh, if you wait for me. There's out, they're out there now. Thank you, Don. Okay. God bless you. Have a wonderful 4th of July.